Oh, so today I'm excited. Hi, Gina. How are you? Hey. Recovering. So, you know, we're, we're going to have a great series next month um, called Life is Relationships. Um, today, I'm just happy to kind of just come and share um, some of the learnings of, of my time in India, which were profound, and I really wasn't kidding when I said it was um, one of the hardest uh, months of my life, but also uh, absolutely one of the most transforming months of my life I've, I've ever had. So um, week one began with um, jet lag and caffeine withdrawal, <laughs> which I had been warned to take care of before I got there. And if you ever go, those who say that are correct. You should take care of that. That was very, very hard. And it's a funny thing about India or the place that I went to because... Um, they don't really tell you anything. And it was like, well, when does class start tomorrow morning? Oh, someone will tell you. They'll tell you. I'm like, well, who's they? I'm not a they. I'm here by myself. I don't know who they is. Oh, they'll tell you. You'll find out. And it was so, you just had to, immediately the surrender of, I will be where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there. And that was the first immediate lesson was there, no one was going to tell you what was going to occur next. It just wasn't going to happen. And I always thought I was a go-with-the-flow kind of guy. <laughs> Check. Okay, my first discovery was that I am high-maintenance. I mean, there's high-maintenance. I am high, super high-maintenance. When I first got there, they put me in a room, they, they put me, and I walked into the room, and it had 15 cots in it, and I took a deep breath, and I found a cot over by the corner, because at least there weren't two, at least I wasn't between two people, it was against the wall. I went there, I put my things in, there were two people, it was mid-afternoon, but there were two people that were there, and they were sleeping and snoring, and I turned the fan on above my bed, and it was like, rrr, rrr, rrr. So I picked up my luggage, I left the room, and I went to registration. I said, I will not stay here. There's no way that I can stay here. <laughs> so they moved me to the other campus, which was more money, but at that point I would have paid a lot more than they even asked. And that was much nicer. That was like, uh, that actually was like hotel rooms, and you had your own bathroom, and it was two people's room, which was real, what was really wonderful for me, and my first blessing was because I came late and everyone was paired up, there were even numbers at this campus, I got my own room. For 28 days, I had my own room, which was so wonderful. But they don't tell you how to do anything. I didn't know how to turn the hot water on. I didn't know that you have to push a button to heat the tank for 20 minutes before the water comes out. I didn't know that you had to take your key to registration to have your room. Nothing. They tell you nothing. Nothing. You discovered each day there was something new that I discovered about the campus. The teachings were absolutely phenomenal. The people here are so dedicated to um, profound uh, spiritual psychology. And so much of it is what we talk about here. We do so much work in the realm of spiritual psychology, but they, being you know, steeped in thousands and thousands of years of Buddhism and practice, really broke down um, some of the basic things that, we, that, that I've known all along, that we've known all along, in a way that I was sitting there going, 
wow, this is amazing. This is am- I just kept on saying this is amazing what I'm learning here. The first week, we did nine different yogas. We did dhyana yoga, kriya yoga, kundalini, karma, mantra, nada, dhyana, japa, and bhakti yoga. So it was from morning until night, the next teacher came in. And this isn't physical yoga. These are teachings. So from morning until night, the next guide would come in, the next guide would come in, and we would just go from one yoga to the next. The one that I absolutely loved was japa yoga. Japa yoga is dancing yoga, which was fabulous. In fact, uh, one of the, the first things I want to do when we get into our new home is to do Wednesday night dance your prayers. It was just... Oh, you don't even know how phenomenal this was. It was 49 minutes, and every seven minutes, there's a gap um, in, in consciousness. So the first 14 minutes, and you just do your simple prayer mantra, life is wonderful, I am one with God. Whatever it is, you chant it for 49 minutes. The first 14 minutes are at the altar where you just chant it, and everyone's kind of sitting up close, and they have pictures of different gurus and deities and flowers and fresh fruit every day. They, they took care of their altars so spectacularly. And we would, for 14 minutes, chant what we chanted. Then for 21 minutes, we would dance. Now, these Indians, they play house music like I have never <laughs> heard. I mean, these little these monks in these white outfits, and they were funny. They have two places they can bling out. The sandals and the sunglasses. <laughs> All they <laughs> But they would play the greatest music. And for 21 minutes, you would just dance your, your mantra and just say it over and over. And then with seven minutes in Shavasana, which is just laying on the ground. And then you do your last seven minutes back at the altar, which equals 49 minutes. And after 49 minutes, there is a larger access gap that allows you to go deep within your being. So at that point, we went into some really deep, wonderful prayers. It was just a glorious, glorious experience. They did so much dancing. They danced every, practically every single session. They got us up on our feet and got us moving and dancing with our divine. It was absolutely beautiful. One of the things I really loved the most, we had our, at the end of week one, was our first all-day experience at the temple. I'd love to show you what the temple is. Can you do that, Stefan? This is the temple. And it is absolutely gorgeous. It is enormous. It is enormous. I just want to begin by saying that the bathroom is way over there. (laughs) First thing I became aware of. Seriously, way down here. Way over there, which made me mad. They don't care if I'm mad, by the way. <laughs> so we would come here, and this, this temple has been being visioned for hundreds of years. People were drawing this temple in the 16th century, the 17th century, the 18th century. Different people would download this temple and its purpose, and it is absolutely a, an, a, living, a living building. Even though it made me angry, it still was quite spectacular. Many things, we go here often for our processes, for the journeys. And our first all-day experience was here. Can you see me okay if you keep that up? Wonderful. So our first all-day from 5 a.m. until 10 p.m. fasting in this temple. At least fasting, I know I wouldn't have to go to the bathroom a lot for that. And actually, you know, it was easy to fast. 
It was easy to do. The energy was so good. We were eating vegetarian food. I was finally off caffeine. So it actually was quite amazing how easy it was to just drink water with lemon in it for one day, for one day. And the processes that they led us through in that first day, I, I, I bowed to these people. One of the exercises we did was we listed our answered prayers and we listed our unanswered prayers. And then we had to go into uh, prayer and meditation and introspection on why our unanswered prayers were unanswered. We couldn't just leave it unanswered. We had to get to the reason that is what that it was unanswered. Now, very often, my unanswered prayers were, you know, I really didn't want that. It really didn't mean as much to me. I wasn't willing to become who I would have had to become to have that. Simple logic, but to sit there and look at all these prayers and get clean and clear on them. Does, do you get that? Very, very profound. We had to list all of the coincidences in our life from birth until present day. Just list them, list them, list them. And what you begin to realize is there are no coincidences. The presence of God is carrying you on your path. Every single step, you are where you're supposed to be, and the grace of God is all around you. And you're just listing and listing and listing. They were very passionate about us having our own personal living relationship with God. If you said, well, I just worship all that is, the light, that's too big. That's what they'd say. That's too big. <laughs> How do you have a relationship with all that is? How do you have a relationship with light? You had to have a personal relationship with the God of your being. And the God of your being was designed according to you, what you need, what you want, what you desire. What is it that you need God to be for you? You need to design that, and you need to have a living relationship with that. So we spent the entire 28 days building a living relationship with the God of my being, and that was one of the most spectacular gifts that I received, absolutely. We listed the desires of our hearts, just like we do here, and we began praying about them and for them throughout the whole week, throughout the, I'm sorry, throughout the whole month, and we had a little prayer book. And we just wrote down our prayers and we kept adding to the prayer book. It wasn't enough to just speak a prayer. We had to write them down. We had to track them and keep them alive and keep ourselves daily connected to the prayers. It was such a wonderful practice that I've known about and done in the past. But it felt so deep and wonderful to do this in India. The meditations and the waiting that happened in between this experience were, were the times when I really had to practice my patience, because again, it was like, what's next? What's next? What do we do now? And you just wait. You just wait. They have guides that are enlightened and awakened, and they're quite spectacular. And during the meditations, or at the end of an exercise, one being would come out and sit on a table about this high, and he or she would just cross their legs and close their eyes, and you would just sort of gather around them. And some things are hard to explain here in the Western world uh, because even while I was there, it was hard to believe. But just waves of energy would come over you. You would just be like, and you would just start to become mindless from the mere gift of sitting at the feet of someone who was awake, of someone who was enlightened. And it was just spectacular. And some of them, this one little guy, he was just when he would go into his awakened state and come service by sitting in front of us, he was like a three-year-old child. And he would giggle. 
And he would giggle and laugh, and he had a picture of his God, and he would just kiss it, and he would love it. And this ball of pure joy was just sitting in front of you, laughing and loving, and you were just enveloped in the energy of this amazing being. It was a spectacular day, spectacular. Moving on to week two, I hit my wall of resistance. You see, the purpose underlying for their mission for the 28 days is to just cleanse you of all the charges. They call them charges. Just imagine all over your body, just these pockets of karma or pockets of, of unhealed things. Again, a lot of things we talk about, but they don't talk about it. They take you into the charges and move you through it. Their thing is you must feel it completely. There's no bypassing. There's no doing anything but praying and planting yourself in the center of your pain. And the amazing thing is that when you sit in the center of your pain and allow it to be fully expressed, as they said, which is true, there is a joy on the other side that you can't put words to. On the other side of all the stories, on the other side of the pain was a freedom that was spectacular. Week two was a lot about the work with the parents. Because according to them, and, and what we teach here also, is that our understanding of God is based upon our parents because our parents are God to us. They are the very people that form, or the people who raised us. They're the people that form our image of God, and they form the first, most primary aspects of your karma this lifetime. The first, from the idea of your birth, to the inception of your birth, to the birth itself, to the first six hours. That is when the majority of your karma this lifetime is created. Yeah, good. <laughs> so we did a lot of deep work into those, into those pockets. And their thing was, when you heal the relationship with your parents, deeply heal it, deeply heal it, you will begin to be able to talk with the God of your being and you will hear God talk back to you. You will hear the voice that has always been inside of you when you get right at the deepest level of your being. There was one woman there from Australia, and she was really struggling with this. She was not hearing God whatsoever. She was not having any conversations going on inside of her. So she stands up, and she's talking to the guide, and she's quite upset. And the guide, in all her sweetness, says, you need to get right with your parents. So, I am right with my parents. <laughs> and I was just like, whoo, it's not me this time. <laughs> get her, get her. <laughs> and the guides as pure as light they're just like well actually you're not <laughs> and the woman explained that you know she has a relationship with her father and her mother and she's done all this work and the point was intellectually and as you today you have established a way of being with them that works we're talking about the six-year-old inside of you that hasn't had her tantrum, hasn't had her full expression, hasn't been able to say what needs to be said. And so they would take us on one of the inner journeys we went on was where we would go within and we, as whatever age shows up for you, and they're really profound experiences. They're the real deal. They're as real as standing here now, if you would even call this real. Um, but you would at eight, six, seven, eight, whatever age you are that shows up, just talks to your parents that are sitting before you inside this inner experience, telling them everything, how you, they missed this birthday, they knew this, you didn't get that, this, whatever it is, you just tell everything, everything, everything. And they just keep pushing you, pushing you, pushing you to get it all out. 
And then at the end of this probably 30, 40 minute experience, they flip you over and they energetically get you aligned inside of your parents' consciousness. And there's only one here, so it is who you are. It's not impossible to become one with the consciousness of that which appears before you. So here we are now inside of the parents and they and you begin to hear their story, not just sort of intellectually under, yeah, 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 they did the best they could, but really feel what was going on for them, how young they were, the challenges they were facing, what their fears were. You were literally inside of their experience of being in relationship to you. And it was mind-blowing. There was so much instant compassion that rose up inside of you when you really felt what was going on for them. And you also felt the genuine love that was there. You felt the gifts, that they, the sacrifices that they did make. Through the eyes of a seven-year-old who keeps looking at what they didn't get, it's impossible for us to see how much we did get, how much they sacrificed, how much they did do for us. And you felt that and everyone's sobbing. Everyone is in the room just crying and releasing and getting in touch with this deep, deep healing and deep transformation around the relationship with our parents. It was absolutely a beautiful, beautiful time. Week three was when the you-know-what really hit the fan. <laughs> By the way, this is 28 days of nonstop work. You never had a day off. Never. For 28 days straight. They worked you, and they were not going to stop. They, they just did not stop pushing us to the edges of our pain, to the edges of our resistance, and to the ultimate realization of our divinity. During week three, I actually was sick for uh, three days. So I was in my room um, just trying to heal and, and take care of myself. And really, that was all. Everywhere you are, the process is occurring on this campus. It's also filled with light and transformative energy that just sitting in my room, and I would meditate, and I would sit in my chair, and then I'd go back to sleep and, and rest. But in my, one of my meditations, that was one of the, uh, uh, it, it was profound. Um, I was consumed with unconditional love, like light from head to toe. I've never experienced this. In my life, although I've talked about it, we talked about it, I was literally filled with unconditional love, and it was pure light, and I was it, but I disappeared in it, and I just sobbed. I just absolutely, when you feel unconditional love, you will sob. There is nothing else to do but just let yourself absolutely be torn open and just cry your little eyes out, which is totally what, what happened to me. It was absolute miraculous. I actually, I tracked this, um, and, and it's just true what occurred. I cried 28 days out of 28 days. <laughs> there was not a day that either a process, a joy, a pain, a breakthrough, there was not one day where I did not have a full opening. And, and you know, by, by day 17, 18, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> it would just come again. But let me tell you, it is so soul-cleansing to cry for 28 days every single day. You know, just walking down this, a tree, a tree. <laughs> Do you see the tree? <laughs> We're one. So the storms were big, they definitely were, but the breakthroughs were absolute. And it was really in week three 
when I really started surrendering and feeling it on a consistent morning, noon, and night basis. We'd have to, um, our campus was about 30 minutes from the temple. And so whenever it was time to go to the temple, we would get on a bus. And this bus was probably made in 1976, I'm guessing. Um, no air conditioning. <laughs> I mean, it's just this ricky old thing. And it drives down roads that I would not take a car on. I would not take a 4 by 4 truck down the roads that this rickety old bus would just go whipping down. It was, it was so scary. And I would, just, I would just stare out the window and hold on. We rode through some villages. This uh, Oneness University is planted in the center of some of the poorest villages in India. So we'd be driving through where there's, there's barely any education. Many kids don't even go to school. No shoes on many of the feet. They're just literally trying to figure out where the, to get a meal a day was, was what they, what was their, was their focus and what they were about. They had little plots of land that they would farm. Um, so that was quite, um, shocking to see. And it was also beautiful to see what Oneness University is doing for these villages. They didn't just plant themselves in the center and say, good luck. They really are making huge changes, bringing medicine, bringing education to them, bringing shoes to these people, helping these people um, really begin to live lives that are spectacular. It was, it was crazy, the contrast of how this place is so spiritual, how India is really a spiritual mecca, a place on this planet that just glows with depth and understanding, and yet on the other side, it is so poor, and there are people that just suffer so deeply. The caste system is still very strong in place, and although it's shifted a lot, we really were in the area where it was the lowest of the caste system, and uh, we were very guided, directed not to, not to give them anything, not to do anything, because that just wasn't going to serve um, their spiritual unfoldment. So we, we followed their guidance, but it was really profound to see. Um, they also made us face the ways that we really do not know passion, forgiveness, gratitude, surrender, humility. Um, they made us see that there's an unawakened state and an awakened state. And we are in unawakened states most of our lives currently until we wake up. And in unawakened states, we just don't know. There's no way to truly access these qualities of God because in an unawakened state, the ego is large and in charge. That's just how it goes. It is a self-centered way of being. In an unawakened state, not knowing our oneness, we are in self-preservation mode. So they played the contrast over and over and over, you know, to where I'm like, yeah, I know what gratitude is. And then within two hours of them beating us down, I was like, I don't know gratitude. <laughs> Their point that I love that I could really get my head around was they wanted to get you to a point of helplessness. You are helpless over this. The only thing that can shift you is a relationship with your divine. It's very 12-step. If you know 12-step, your first step is you have to admit you're powerless. You of yourself can't do anything but your higher power. When you surrender, that's what takes over. It was the same concept here, but on the essence of our, of our very being and the way that we relate to the world. So I could wrap my head around the idea, and it really did pull me and tug on me in a lot of ways because I, I did think that I had a lot of those pieces in place, but they really made us see how um, there's a lot of growth for us to do in that area. So week four was when the turbocharged transformation 
really took place. They just kept going and going and going. Week four, they took us on uh, four days of shamanic journeys. And I have not done LSD. Um, <laughs> I haven't, but I guarantee you it was this kind of intense, mind-blowing experiences. They would do meditation and prayer and ritual for probably two to three hours before the journey itself would begin, whatever the journey was, whatever the, the focus of the journey was. After two to three hours of that kind of preparation, they would take you into deep breathing work to get your body and your mind and your whole being prepared. That was another half hour of just breath work, deep, strong breath work. And then when it came time to move into the journeys, whatever the journey was that we went on, they would just be pounding this music and we're laying on the temple floors. And suddenly something would shift and you would be into whatever this journey was, whatever the journey was that we were taking. We did rebirthing journeys. We did journeys where we went to different, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom. I know this sounds crazy. I know that absolutely does, but it is so real. The dimensions of being that are so possible, this physical, silly little one dimension that we're living that we think is everything is about this big. There's so many multiple dimensions that we live simultaneously, that we can access. And through their practices, they would lead us into some of these experiences. And it was absolutely amazing. And they brought each of us to really finally understand how powerful and magnificent we all are individually. The, um, the point that they are on, that this particular, where they're coming from, is that 2012 is the mystical year. As many of us have heard, that's not a new idea to us, this idea that uh, the Mayan calendar in 2012 is, is a, a big shifting year and expansion in consciousness. It is the year where many people will wake up like this. Yesterday, they didn't, under, you know, they were living in old paradigms and fears. The very next day, they'll wake up and suddenly there's possibility. They're able to access ways of being in the world um, and ways of uh, contacting their own sense of spirituality that literally was unavailable. It's a very powerful year. And so their focus is to get as many people to do the deeper work so that they can be prepared to lead as the world starts waking up, that there are other people that are at the front line of the experience. And I was very, very honored to be there and to be a part of it. And I really am certain that Bodhi is a part of this consciousness. We sit in so much familiar conversation. This is so um, easy for you to uh, conceive, if not some of the ideas I'm telling you today, at least the ideas that we teach here on a consistent basis. And we become unaware of the billions and billions of people that aren't yet at this point or at this particular conversation. And, you know, it's just a door. This conversation is, in the, is a doorway to many, many more conversations. It's not an end. It's not like, oh, we're here, yay, we're the ones. It's just the next step into freedom. And in the next phase of freedom that's possible, it really is the possibility of a world working for everyone is no longer an idea. That's what they kept stressing to us, and that's what I've come to believe. And I kept it, you were just with me every single day. Everything they were saying about me, it was like, well, that's what Bodhi is. Well, that's what Bodhi's here for. That's what we're about. We are planted here in the center of the beautiful city of Chicago 
so that we can be a part of that light and a part of that expansion. And that's what was turning me on. That's what kept me going day after day um, of, of sleeplessness and the next process and the next process and the food that was terrible. <laughs> Thank God I had protein bars. But I'm telling you, if I didn't have protein bars, I would be 20 pounds less. I mean, it was just I could barely eat the food. But all of that, suddenly the purpose, the reason for being there was so profound. And as I said, I always felt Bodhi there with me. I always, everything that I was saying yes to, I felt like I was like, it's us. It's us. So I do want to bring this time together with a hope that you will consider making 2012 different than any other year that you've had on this planet. I will give you everything that I've got and more. And I will help co-create as many experiences for us as we can hold in the upcoming year. But what you've got to say yes to is coming. You've got to say yes to participating and looking at your own resistance because we are a culture. And it's interesting. All the different countries had different personalities. America, woo! Don't tell me what to do. I will do it my way. I will tell you when I show up. I will tell you. Well, I'll sign this agreement, but I'll do what I'm going to do. And that, that really is a, a, a strong vein in the, in the consciousness of who we are. And, you know, it's served. It's served us in certain ways, but it also can block us. It can block us. So I'm going to beg you all year long to dive in more to your spiritual practices, to expand who you are, because this year, this particular year, 2012, you could cause such profound shifts. You could do... 50 years of work in this lifetime. I mean, in this year. In this year, in 2012, you could do 50 years of transformational work. You really could. But we've got to show up for it. We've got to decide that we're going to watch two less television shows and we're going to take a class. We've got to decide that we're going to give up this or that for this year and we're going to focus on spirituality together. There's a powerful community to be built here. There really is. And you're a part of it. You're a part of it. This, this could be tripled and quadrupled um, in 2012 of people just sitting here inside this conversation. And you won't lose anything by more people here. You will be lifted up. The more light that is around you, the easier your path will be. I promise you that. And it's in our small groups where you'll have your connection, your intimacy. You won't lose anything by saying yes to let's make this light become spectacular in 2012. Yes? Yes. yes. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How am I doing it from? Whoa.